Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Someone would say to you, what should be the supreme desire of every believer? What should the believer's supreme desire be in his life? In other words, what should each child of God be earnestly striving for in his life? How would you respond to that? I believe we can receive and will receive many different responses. But if you look to the Word of God with me, you'll find that the Apostle Paul answered that question right here in verse 9. He said, Wherefore, and of course that means he's connecting all of what he said previously to this particular verse, and he was talking about the fact that while we are living here on earth in the body, we are absent from the Lord, but when we leave this body and this earth behind, we'll go to be in the presence of the Lord. Wherefore, in other words, it doesn't matter whether we're here or whether we're there, what our supreme desire should be is this. We labor or eagerly strive that whether present or absent, that is from the body, we may be accepted of him. Or as one translation puts it, well-pleasing to him well-pleasing. That should be the believer's supreme desire. That we want to be well-pleasing to our Father God as we exist in these bodies on this earth. Do you remember that Jesus said of himself in John's Gospel, chapter 8 and verse 29, that the Father is always with me and he never leaves me alone because I do always those things that please him. I do always those things. I asked myself this question when I read that. What does he mean, those things? What are those things that he was doing that pleased the Father? See, he was well aware of those things that please God the Father. And he went about doing those things that pleased the Father. Therefore, the Father was well pleased with his life. And I don't think I need to say any more because Jesus said, because I do these things that please you, you're not only always with me, but you always hear me and answer all of my prayers. Well, what about this other fellow in the Bible in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 called Enoch? Enoch an Old Testament Bible character, had this testimony before he left this realm of life. Now listen. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was translated without tasting death because he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God. While he was with the body, in the body, on the earth, he pleased God. He was translated out of the body 
into glory. Well, he was, it was a bodily resurrection. But up in that heavenly sphere, obviously he is still well-pleasing to God. But God was well-pleased with Enoch's life because of his walk. The way he walked with him here upon this earth. Enoch did it. Jesus did it. Others did it. And it should also be our aim in life. Our supreme desire should be to live a life on this earth that is well-pleasing to God. Obviously, it starts with our regeneration, being born again. One cannot be accepted of God if he is not born again, because the only way he can be accepted of God is by coming to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us accepted in the Beloved. So that is the beginning of our life of being well-pleasing to God is by coming to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, I say that just for groundwork in case there's someone here who is not born again. If you're not born again out there and you say, well, I want to please God with my life, the first step that you must take towards that is coming to God the Father through Jesus Christ and experiencing what is called the act of regeneration, being born again from above, the life and nature of God being imparted to your spirit. Because we of our own selves have no righteousness. Our righteousness before God is as filthy rags. But Jesus Christ fulfilled the will of God in dying for all humanity and His blood was accepted as the supreme sacrifice for man's sin. The penalty was paid and through Jesus Christ the gift of eternal life is offered to anyone and whosoever will come. And so if you'll just come to the Father through Jesus Christ, He'll be well pleased with that and also well pleased with your act of faith. And you'll be born again, child of God. God will become your Father. And then from that point on, you'll begin to live a life that is well pleasing to Him by studying His Word and fulfilling His will. The Apostle Paul said that for him, it was his earnest desire to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is the same thing he was talking about. He was talking about being so full of the life of God as a result of living a life that is well-pleasing to him that he would attain to the, high pro the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So he dedicated himself to this end. It was his desire and, and supreme desire and earnest desire and striving for to pursue this for his life and in his life so that he could be the person that God would be well pleased with. Now, what I would like for us to do, if you would please, is to make note of some things that this involves. And write down, if you would please, number one, what being well pleasing to God involves is number one, conformity to His divine image and likeness. Conformity to His divine image and likeness. Once again, I stress the fact that Christianity is not as much what we do here when we assemble ourselves together as a body of believers as it is what we do when we're going about our daily lives out there in this world and in particular in our own family units. Christianity is taking upon ourselves the very life and nature of God in spirit. You recall that when God made man, He made man in His own image and likeness and then gave him a certain commission to reign as the God of this world, to subdue it, 
to have authority over it, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and all that. Well, he was doing that. But when he fell by rebellion, he fell from the very image of God and took upon himself a foreign image, a wrong nature with wrong attitudes, with wrong desires and motives, a wrong character. And as a result, of course, he began to propagate that character of darkness upon this earth. Well, in the act of regeneration, we understand that in spirit we are restored to that image of the living God. But we also understand as we read the Word of God that that act of regeneration only affects us in spirit. And the life that is in our spirit is the very life of God that man had in the very beginning before his fall. So in spirit we have been restored to the likeness and image of God because of the act of regeneration. But it doesn't stop there. God wants us to work out from the inward parts to the outward part our own salvation with fear and trembling. He wants us to be conformed to the very image of His Son. Turn to Romans chapter 8. This is and should be the believer's supreme desire to be well-pleasing to God by, number one, conforming to His divine image and likeness. In Romans chapter 8, because we have taken verse 28 out of its setting and highlighted it, so to speak, and emphasized it so often in our Christian circles, verse 29 seemingly has become of lesser importance. But it's not less important and should not be less important to us. We don't want to focus in on all those things that work together for our good and isolate them and say it's talking about all these different things and ignore the fact that one of the most important things that works together for our good is the fact that we are, look at verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, I have been born again of God in spirit and I have his life in my spirit, but God wants me to conform to that image, the image of his Son. We should be striving earnestly to be well-pleasing to God by, first of all, making a decision to do a work of diligence in our lives that will enable us to be conformed to the very image of Jesus. So that from the time we've been born again to the time right now, wherever we're at right now in our Christian experience, we are more like Jesus today than we were yesterday or the day before or a year ago or ten years ago. God the Father wants us to experience change from glory to glory on a day-by-day basis in our lives so that as each day that goes by, each year that goes by, we are more conformed to the very image of His own likeness and countenance. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, you'll notice another scripture with regard to this same truth. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches at Galatia, being concerned because they were so caught up in legalism, so caught up in doctrine, so caught up with the law, so caught up with all these outward religious tradition experiences that they neglected one all-important 
truth. And what was that truth? Look at this. Verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. All this dissension, all this confusion, all this conflict, all this arguing, all that you're experiencing out here is preventing you from being conformed to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying, this is what's of primary importance. This should be your supreme desire. This is what should be your interest in life. You should desire to be conformed. He's got to travail for this to happen. Beloved, let's make note of this fact. No one will have to travail for you or for me with regard to our being conformed to the very image of Jesus if we'll just make that the supreme desire of our own hearts. If I make that my supreme desire of heart, you won't have to be in travail for me over it. These people weren't doing it, and that's why Paul was in travail. Because he knew they weren't doing it, and God's Spirit witnessed to his spirit that they weren't being conformed. And therefore, the Spirit of God fell upon him in travail, and he began to cry out out of his spirit so that these people would be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, another scripture is in... Colossians chapter 3. It's close by. Turn to that with me, if you would, please. This involves being conformed to God's divine image. And this is how this takes place in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. It involves a putting off of the old man. We've been born again. We have a brand new man on the inside. Now he says in verse 10, And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, now that I've been born again, my supreme desire is to be like him and should be to be like him and to walk in his image and walk in his likeness on this earth because that's what I have been restored to in spirit. Now the idea is this, that I've been born again for it to be Realized in my emotional and physical realm, I have my part to play. If I don't do something about it, it's not going to happen. It won't occur. It will not be realized in my life emotionally and physically. So he says right here in verse 10, put on the new man, take off the old man, and the new man is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Here's where we, have, we must obtain the knowledge of who Christ is in us, and who we are in Christ. And when we recognize that being new creations or creatures in Christ Jesus, we are Christ's work, God's workmanship in Christ, then we'll begin to conform to His character and conform to His lifestyle. And that should be the supreme desire of the child of God. And that's what we should be giving ourselves to diligently. Being conformed to the image of the living God through Jesus Christ. And you'll see the same truth revealed back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 through 24. That ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So every believer should have this supreme desire in his life that is to be conformed to the image of God. In spirit, we already are, but we now must be renewed in the spirit of our minds so what is in our spirit may flow through us, in our minds, through our emotions, through our will, and affect change in our 
physical lives, the way we conduct ourselves in this world. We call that character or our patterns of behavior. The way we behave ourselves in a local body. The way we behave ourselves within the family unit. The way we behave ourselves at our place of employment. The way we behave ourselves in other relationships with people. This is talking about the life of God that is in us, causing us to be conformed to God's image and likeness in character and in all that we set our hands to do. It affects change in our hearts, desires, motives, and attitudes until we become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ on a day-by-day basis. Okay, secondly, it also means this, number two, conformity to God's holiness. If we really desire to please God, if that's our supreme desire of heart, then number one, we'll want to be conformed to His image and likeness. Number two, turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1 while I'm saying this. There is a desire to be conformed to the holiness of God. Holiness. God is holy. If we want to be well-pleasing to God, If we have an eager desire to to be well-pleasing to our Father God, then we need to be conformed to His image and also conformed to His holiness. We should be spending so much time on ourselves that we don't have a whole lot of time to criticize others. Did I hear a weak amen? And some silent oh my's. We should be so busy in experiencing change in our own lives that we don't have very much time to criticize others or to find fault or to judge others. We should be so busy working out our own salvation that we don't have our nose in other people's salvation other than to talk to them about Jesus to get them saved. Be soul winners is one thing, but I'm talking about other believers. Not judging, not criticizing and fault finding and all that. And I really believe that as individuals, if we would be conformed to these things, then, believe me, there would be a lot more harmony between people in the body of Christ. Conformity to His holiness. This is what it involves. So, 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's see. Verse 15. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy... In all manner of... Now, that word conversation sometimes is is blind to us. It means your lifestyle. In your patterns of behavior. Your behavior patterns. The way you conduct yourself in this world in which we live. See, God doesn't want us to have something on the inside and then leave it lie there. Let it stay on the inside. He wants wants it to get to the outside. He wants us to manifest holiness. Look at verse 16. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, what holiness involves is this. Number one, holiness is immediately connected with regeneration. How do I manifest holiness? Well, number one, holiness is immediately connected with regeneration. If you've been born again, then on the inside you are holy. Isn't that wonderful to know? We don't attain to holiness any other way. I am holy. You are holy on the inside because a holy God gave birth to you. And me. Therefore, on the inside, we are holy. But holiness, number two, also involves conformity of the whole person to the image of God. 
That means the spirit of man, the soul of man, and the body of man. And once again, we go back to the same point, that on the inside we have the holiness of God. God's holy character resides in our inward parts. God's truth resides in our inward parts. Now, what we should be diligently involved in, if our supreme desire is to really be well-pleasing to God, is what? Taking that which is on the inside and bringing it out into the outer man, through the soul, into the body. And that's what this means. Conformity of the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. That's God in our spirit and also God's ways of thinking in our souls. We've got to do something about this spiritual battle that we are engaged in, which is warfare of the mind, and learn to cast down thoughts and reasonings and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So this involves renewing the mind to the holiness of God, so that our conversation or our lifestyle will be one that becometh what? Holiness. For it is the will of God that we be holy and not carnal. That we be holy and not sensual. See, God wants us to conduct our, ourselves in a holy way. Holiness in thought. Holiness in deed. So we can say this then. Thirdly, holiness is that which is to be practiced and observed in this life in which we live. Some, I think, have the idea that I am holy and it's only a spiritual thing. I am holy because of Christ. Because I am in Christ, I am now holy. But you see, I can go about doing anything I want in this realm of life now because I've already been born again. And I have the holiness of God on the inside of me. And God's grace just means this. I can do whatever I want, but God is going to forgive me for whatever I do. Well, you make sure that you put that kind of thinking out of your mind because that is unholy thinking. And let's get our minds renewed to the fact that since God is holy... And since He made a a command to us to be holy, and since He has imparted His holy life and character and nature into our spirits, our thinking should be like this. It's my desire to conform to His holiness in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, I'm going to study the Word of God to determine how He wants me to conduct myself in this life. I'll have my mind renewed so that my thoughts can be holy thoughts. My desires can be holy desires. My purposes will be holy purposes. My walk will be a holy walk. My aspirations will be a holy, will be holy aspirations. Do you see all that? Amen. Because if if they're not God's thoughts, aspirations, desires, motives, and if it's not God's walk for our lives and will for our lives, then it becomes an unholy thing because it's carnal. It is our own way. It is our own thinking, our own desires, our own aspirations. God wants us to see to it that we are conformed to His holiness and that we observe and practice His holiness in this realm of life. Can you say amen? That was a little stronger. Amen. Another thing about holiness, number four, is that it's progressive. In other words, we have it on the inside, but getting it to the outside is not as easy as we make it seem from the pulpit. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. 
And I guarantee you that if you set out to fulfill this Scripture, there wouldn't be much time for you or for me to find fault with anybody within the body of Christ. Did you know that? Look at verse 1. Having therefore these, pre- these promises, dearly beloved, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let us, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Wait a minute, I thought you said we have God's holiness. Isn't God's holiness perfect? Yes. Just like the gifts of the Spirit are also perfect. God's holiness is perfect. God's love is perfect. But how many of you know that we're not perfected in the gifts of the Spirit? And that we are not perfected in the love of God? And that we are not perfected in the holiness of God? This is a progressive thing. As we give ourselves over to the study of God's Word with regard to love, the gifts of the Spirit, and holiness, then we begin in a progressive way to remove from ourselves those things that God considers to be unclean or unholy and begin putting into our lives those things that God considers to be holy. So it's a progressive thing. When you first get saved, it might be He gives you a brand new way of communicating with people. You stop all that bad language and start saying good things. That may be one of the first things that happens. It could be that all of a sudden you begin, you begin doing other things and changes take place in your life with regard to your finances, with regard to the way you conduct yourself around other people, with regard to your habits of life. You are putting away some things that are not constructive to your Christian growth and experience. And you put them aside. I don't need this. I don't need that. As you begin to study the Word of God. With regard to our own physical bodies, we have God-given desires from the very beginning that were perverted through the fall. And when it comes to how we keep our bodies with regard to sexual desires, sensual desires, and all that, we make changes because we realize that we must observe the holiness of God and the laws of God. And we can't live by our own sensual desires because they'll destroy us ultimately if we allow them to. And so here we see that we are to perfect holiness. Now notice how. How is holiness perfected, beloved? The answer is right there, the latter part of the verse. In the what? Do you know what we need in the body of Christ today more than anything else? A godly reverential fear. Because godly fear will always be a motivator. If one really fears God, I'm not talking about like you'd fear the boogeyman. You understand that? I'm not talking about like fear you'd fear the devil, that kind of fear. I'm talking about holy reverential fear that you are God and that you made me. You put me together by your divine power. You spoke me into existence. You gave me your very life. I reverence you. It will always serve as a motivating force in a person's life that will govern the way he conducts himself in life with regard to his moral character is what I'm saying. Most definitely. You say, well, well, well why don't you just go ahead and, and, and just live together? Huh. I fear God, that's why. Yeah, but, but society today says it's okay. Some of the churches are sanctioning even adultery. Did you know that right now? If you're having problems in your marital relationship, some of the ch- denominational churches right now, I won't make mention of any names so I get no stones. 
but they are sanctioning adultery. Because if you're having a problem in your marriage, it's okay to commit adultery now. Well, they just ripped out one of the commandments, didn't they? See, our society is leaning more toward the world and its logic and its thinking and its rationalization. But not us. No, the one who wants to please God is the one who says, I fear Him. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather spend eternity in heaven with Him than to fulfill a sensual, sexual desire and pleasure in eternity and damnation in the lake of fire where the worm dies, where the fire is never quenched and the worm dies not. I'd rather be with Him. I fear the living God. Why don't you go out drinking with your friends? Because I fear God. I have a fear of the holy God. I'm talking about a reverential fear that will encourage me to set good moral standards in my own life. I fear Him. And if we'll do that and have that fear, we'll perfect holiness in our lives. Okay, now what else does this involve besides holiness? And number three, conformity to the divine will of God. You'll recall that Jesus said, I'm come, I have come not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. I am here to do the will of Him that sent me. And please, I'm not going to take time to elaborate. I want to get all this in together. I am here to do the will of Him that sent me. Each one must recognize the fact that God has a, a general and specific will for each of our lives. And it's our duty and responsibility as Christians, if we really fear God and want to be well-pleasing to Him, to do our own part to discover what that will is. Go to the Word of God and you'll find out the general, revealed will of God for your life. Stay in the Word in prayer and lean upon the ministry of the Holy Ghost and you will discover the specific will of God for your life in any area. It just hurts me sometimes on the inside when many will come and they'll want to know from me whether or not they should go to this school or that school. Or, or I'm not the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say that again. I am not the Holy Ghost. This is called personal Savior and personal Lord and personal salvation because we each have the personal ministry of the Word and Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that God couldn't use me to confirm something that's already inside someone else's spirit. I didn't say that. But if you're looking to anyone apart from the Word and Holy Spirit for God's specific will for your life, I guarantee you 99.99 times you are going to be wrong and misled. And it hurts me on the inside when I see so many people going to church services and wanting somebody to prophesy over them to find out what they should do with their lives. Oh, that hurts. Because it's so wrong. It's so wrong. No, look to God. Be confident that you can discover His will through His Word and by His Spirit. Amen? There should be, fourthly, an exhibition of divine love. If we want to be pleasing to God in this realm of life, in the body in which we are living, this is a temporal body, this is a temporal place for us right now on this earth. If we want to be pleasing to God while we're here in our stay on earth, then what we are to do is to exhibit God's divine love. And John's Gospel 13:34, Jesus himself said, "This is my commandment, 
This is not a suggestion. He didn't say, this is my suggestion. And I thought it might be nice for you to do this. But he did say this. This is my commandment. I place a demand, a mandate, a command upon your life that you love one another as I have loved you. Boy, I'd like to expound on that, loving one another. I think there's so much lack when it comes to loving one another within the body of Christ. And I mean that. Oh, from the depth of my being, I mean that. The body of Christ lacks that. There's too much fault finding. There's too much criticism. As a matter of fact, especially in the local body when people attend a church and they're looking for the perfect church. Can I state, state something to you that will absolutely bless your socks off or make you mad? You ready for this? If you would have been in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when he walked on this earth, if he was your shepherd, you'd have been in an imperfect church. Do you know why? Do you know what came out of that church? You think about it. One was a thief. Judas was a thief. Wasn't he? Well, he'd have been sitting in a pew next to you if you were in that church. Probably with his hands in the air, praising God in a spiritual high-type frenzy. Woo! More money coming in. <laughs> And you know what his end was all about. Jesus was his shepherd. And, and dear God, there are only 12 of them. Come on, Lord. Can't you handle 12? Then there would have been that arrogant Peter. And what about the other 11 cowards in the boat? And what about... Those that said, they don't follow us. Should we call fire out of heaven, Lord, and consume them? What about these? Can we sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom? You think he didn't have church problems. <laughs> Only twelve. When it got bigger, they wanted to stone him. Remember one time he had a congregation of 82, 70 plus the 12. 70 left, went away, and he said, you 12 going to leave me too? I mean, that's pretty close. He was probably sweating. And finally, Peter finally said something, right? Now, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Right? There's just a lack of love in the body of Christ. Because people are looking for something that doesn't exist. Perfection. In humanity. I'm not going to find it. Get eyes off of people. Get eyes on Jesus. He's perfect. And you know what? You live up to His perfection. And when you get it mastered, then look at the fellow sitting next to you in church. Say amen or oh my. Another thing is... And this is number five. Well, before I go to let me give you one more last scripture there. First John 4, 7 and 8 says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. He that loveth uh, is born of God, knoweth God. He that loveth not doesn't even know God. If that's a mandate, if that's the mark of the true believer, if that's what's going to make us well-pleasing, shouldn't we be doing our best and being diligent when it comes to loving one another as Christ loves us? Most definitely.
And I'm not talking about a superficial love. And I'm going to tell you something else. I think I need to meddle just a little bit longer. Is that okay? I'm not talking about a superficial love because sometimes it seems superficial. I'm also talking about a love that doesn't really have unrealistic expectations. You know, I'll just use myself as an example. Sometimes I'll get a lot of flack because I didn't talk to everybody or shake everybody's hand after a service. Do you know that I'm a human being and I have one brain? And if, if I get 47 and a half questions after a service, standing by the door, I can't write fast enough. I mean, I've got my date book right here in my pocket. And sometimes, you know, I'm asked to go see this one at the hospital and this one's over there. And, and by the way, this, and by the time I get that, it's not that, it's not that I don't want to answer everybody's questions or talk with everybody or, or be thorough in, in, in greeting people and all, and all that. I'm just one person. And I think that people have unrealistic expectations. I'm not just saying of me, of each other. We're looking for something more than what we should expect from people. One said it this way. If you have unrealistic expectations and you're looking for a lot, if you're looking for a lot of things in a person for them to be spiritual, you're going to be brought down and you're going to be you know, sadly hurt. But if you don't expect anything from someone when they give you the little bit, I'll tell you, you'll be delighted. You'll be full of joy. And that's how we should be. I don't expect anything of you. And then when you do something, I say, hallelujah, praise God Almighty, they're growing. But when your expectations are way up there, yes, you'll find fault with this one, that one, and this one, and that one, because you expected all these different things. But when it didn't happen, you found out they were just as down to earth as you are, just as limited as you are. As anybody else is, because we're all human beings. And I refer back to the twelve. Go back to those twelve disciples, and I ask you, which of them were perfected in the church of Jesus when he walked with them as, as shepherd? One became uh, not only a robber, but he killed himself. Committed suicide. Think about that. And there are those that would say, oh, I wish I could have prevented that. You don't think Jesus wished he could have prevented, you know, Judas from committing suicide? Most definitely. He betrayed him and did all that. You know all that. And like I said, Peter had his attitude and the others had their attitude. Even the mom got involved and says, I want you to grant my sons this is one on your left and one on the right. I mean, he had problems with their families too. I mean, you think about that. He had pastoral problems. Did you know that? Come on now, he's Jesus. I don't feel so bad now. Oh, glory. And let me, let me give you this last one, and then we'll close it here, because I, I'm not near done, but we'll close it. I know it's in my spirit time to do it. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, number 5. What does this involve? What does pleasing God involve? Turn there with me, and this one we'll read together. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. This is number 5. What it involves to please God. I'm not saying this is everything. It's not an exhaustive study, but it's just some things. That will get us on our way to pleasing God and to live a life of being well-pleasing to the Father. In verse 6. But without faith, but without faith, it is living a life of faith and trust, confidence, believing in God. But without faith, it is impossible. It is what? Do you see that? It's impossible to please Him. If we just took one aspect of this and just did our best to live a life of perfect faith, the way He wants us to live our lives, 
so that we would please Him by living this life of faith, believing Him for all things. Again, I say to you, there wouldn't be enough time to criticize anybody else. You'd be so bogged down with, with your own research, with your own homework, with your own self-inspection and examination, with looking at your own life, my own life. I would be so caught up with doing all that I can to be conformed to this image that God wants me to be. I wouldn't have time to see whether or not, you know, you were doing it. Do you get the point? See, this is what God wants. He wants us to realize that we can... Yes, we love one another and we can reach out to a certain extent. But if we have unrealistic expectations about each other, then, you see, we expect too much from each other and then we're going to be in for a fall. We can't do that. Don't expect a whole lot out of people and then when they give you something, you'll be blessed. And you look at them in a different light and say, thank God. Be involved in, in developing your own personal life of faith. Praise God. And you'll be so involved in doing that and so intent in doing that and so diligent in doing that. Like I said, you won't have time to look at somebody else and find out where they're at in their faith life. And I guarantee you along the way you'll be able to help them if they'll come to you for help because you've been so busy instead of fault finding and criticizing and judging other people. You've been so busy building yourself up in the Word on your most holy faith. I'm just staying in the Word of God. Well, what are you doing this week? I'm staying in the Word of God. Well, what are you involved in? I'm involved in the Word of God. What are you involved in? I'm involved in the love of God. What are you involved in? I'm, I'm doing my best to be conformed to the image of the Father. What are you involved in? I'm involved in holiness. I, I want to be holy like God is holy. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's working my life. I don't know about your life, but it's working. You know, this flesh of mine, this flesh of mine is like the flesh of yours. It doesn't want to do what God wants it to do. And so I've got to beat it and buffet it like Paul had to do with his. Because you know, Paul, Paul's the same way. I mean, Paul had a buffet his body, beat, deal, blow after blow after blow after blow because you see, I thought he was a holy man of God. He's a holy man of God on the inside, but he had to bring it to the outside. The man on the outside didn't want to do what the man on the inside wanted to do, so he had to be delivered from the, this bodily flesh of his. Buffet it. Day after day. It's not different for anyone on this earth, beloved. I believe God spoke to my heart in saying that any problem is an individual problem. And if each individual would do his or her part, you know what? The individual would be secure and sound. And be conformed and on his way to being conformed and well-pleasing to the Father. And then you know what? Take that into a marital relationship. What's, what's the solution to a marital problem? Each one conforming to this. And if they would, then they'd see each other in a different light. And they'd be so involved in themselves and, and making themselves be what God wants them to be, they wouldn't find fault with each other. And a family unit, and then family unit makes up a church body. Is each family unit is, is conforming to this idea and ideal. Then praise God, we've, we've solved the problem. Amen. The nation's free now. Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. We can realize it, beloved. I believe we can attain it in this body. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I believe that. I believe that if we'll start with the individual and get our, our minds renewed to this. And I'll tell us how next week. Is that okay? Get our minds renewed to these truths. It wouldn't be very long before individuals would change, marriages would change, and family units would change. And then the whole body of believers that assembles together will change under the glory of God. Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am and I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me I open the door of my heart I call upon the name of the Lord Lord Jesus come into my heart now I receive you and accept you 
as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.